you don't necessarily have to have a sports management degree or have worked in sports to make the transition to sports. Social posts that are going out, photos that are coming in, video, the actual game presentation itself, watching so much information that I barely get a chance to look at the game. It's a difficult transition from being a doer and knowing what you have to do every day to going being leader and kind of going, what is my job? This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. We are going back through our best episodes of 2021 and highlighting some of our favorites. And this is a time where you can look back, learn a little bit more, rehash something you may have heard earlier in the year and bring it back to the forefront of your mind. This is a time of year that I tend to get rather introspective and think about things that we've accomplished over the year. And as I talk to young people across the country, I do go out and speak in a lot of college classrooms. Uh, one thing I'm pulling from that is that there is an undercurrent of panic in their collective voices. It sounds a lot like pressure and fear. I'm no neuroscientist, but anecdotally, it sure seems negative news accumulates in our brains much faster than positive. Using myself as an example, I will remember the one review that we got giving one star and commenting that the, quote, host has a weird voice and delivery. His questions meander and lack any interesting quality, unquote. That will stick in my brain forever. It comes up in my subconscious as I write questions. It comes up live during interviews. It comes up during the editing process where I wonder if this person isn't right. The hundreds Almost thousands of positive reviews lack the power to cut through this dissenting voice. Now let's spin this to your existence. Dot-com headline, unemployment's super high. Sports hiring manager, we get 400 applicants for each job. Podcast host, if you don't get the right experience, you won't get noticed. The data you have coming at you is discouraging, panic-inducing, and amounts to pressure. I can hear the message you are giving yourself. If I don't choose everything perfect from internships to majors to skill development to networking to interviewing technique, I'll be lost and I will fail. That is heavy. But again, that's the voice I hear coming from the young people that I speak with today. I did a little analysis with this thought in mind. I went through all of our podcast guests who, as you know, are amazing people in the sports industry that span the entire gamut. And around 37% of them started their careers elsewhere other than sports, 37%. Even more than that, around 47% majored in something completely unrelated to their current career. All of this is to say, take it easy on yourself in 2022. Your career is not a straight line. It is not something you can plan out perfectly. It is organic and takes shape as you live through it. Do your best, experience what you can, pick up tips you have in there that you learn, have a plan, set goals, have accomplishments in mind like building your network and gaining experience that matches industry demand, but don't be rigid. Today's guest is a shining example of this pattern. Michelle Andres was a political science major. In fact, she so loved politics, she received her master's in political science in campaign management. But then... She didn't love the work itself. I'll let her give you all the details, but think about that for a second. She didn't do seven sports internships. She didn't have a vast network of sports connections, but she landed a job with the Orlando Magic as the assistant director of interactive marketing, and her career has grown rapidly ever since. 
where she is now the SVP of Ravens Media with the Baltimore Ravens and one of my favorite interviews from 2021. Why did all this happen for her? Well, let's let her explain. Here's my friend, Michelle Andres. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've been really enjoying the process of researching and coming up with some of my questions because your experience is really fascinating to me. So I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us today. Sure thing. So before we get into the full scope of Ravens Media and your career arc and all of that, I want to go back to your beginning a little bit, because as we were talking about beforehand, a lot of the people in our audience are trying to figure out their fit. They're trying to figure out where they may fit in the sports industry. And I find it really interesting that you were a political science major. And not only that, you went and got your master's in poli-sci and campaign management. Right. How, and even more importantly, why does a political science major, major end up with starting their career with the Orlando Magic, you're working in PR, you're eventually gravitating to interactive marketing. Like how did this all kind of happen? Yeah. So, you know, I always loved politics until I worked in it. And then I didn't really love it anymore. (laughs) Um, So I worked for a local elected official who was term limited. And, you know, when it started nearing the end of her second term, I knew I had to start finding a job. And I got a call one day from somebody who said, the Orlando magic in the NBA are are hiring for this position. You should apply. And I was like, what do I know about basketball? And, and, you know, I don't know if I could do that job. And I went ahead and interviewed and, you know, the rest is history. Um, When I was first hired by them, they, it was mostly communicate a communications role, but they incorporated government relations into it, which was obviously a nice tie in to what I had done previously. But I think the lesson that comes out of that is that you don't necessarily have to have a sports management degree or have worked in sports to to make the transition to sports. I would have never thought that I would have worked in sports. Um, And I think what they wanted from me was my skill, my skill Mm -hmm. in communications. And, and, And I think that's the same was true of the Baltimore Ravens is is, again, I was never a big follower of football either. And uh, like I am now, of course. Um, but what they wanted me for was my skill in communications and in digital. And, and that works as well, you know, as having a sports management background. It's interesting. I was thinking about it last night and I was trying to come up with some parallels because I just like to challenge myself in that thinking. And I thought, you know, in campaign management, you really are talking about awareness. You are doing a lot of marketing. You're doing a lot of personal Absolutely. branding. There yep. is a, there is a tra- like, there's totally. transferable skills there. Totally. I always say that you were in campaigning, you are, you are marketing a person versus a product. Yeah. It's the same principles. It, yeah. it totally makes sense. So as you alluded to in 2006, you jumped to the Ravens, you became the director of digital media of new media. Yeah. Now I, I remember I'm old enough to remember 2006 and looking back, it seems like very old media, right? It's like things happen, exactly. things happen so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old enough to remember too. I know. Yep. It's so funny. I mean, back then we were talking about the advent of social media. Like we're talking about websites were still pretty raw. Like what do you remember most in the, the big challenges you were kind of facing in mm-hmm. that time? Well, it's funny too, because I remember having to sort of fight to change the name of the department from new media. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because it really wasn't new anymore. But the challenges back then were, you know, the website was the center of our universe at that point. Um, it literally was everything to us. And now, I mean, that's just like, no, it's, it's, it's so not the center of our universe. But back then, the league was super restrictive in terms of what teams could do. So they were, they've always been very slow to market 
to adopt new things. And social media was sort of of one of those things. So I remember one of the first things I did when I got there is I, I built a MySpace page for the team. That's great. And I got a cease and desist from the league about a a couple of weeks later saying I had to take it down because they weren't there yet. So obviously we've come such a long way and we've watched this evolution happen from the website being the center of the universe to um, the mobile app becoming Mm -hmm. the center of the universe to social media becoming the center of the universe. So, so, so much has changed and the pace at which it's changed has also just completely sped up. Yeah, you have to be so agile too. You can't be too locked into any one certain thing because it's so rapidly changing. How important has that been to just kind of stay flexible and keep in moving with the times? Yes, it is important. However, the other trick is trying to know when something is going to be a flash in the pan and when it's going to have some longevity. Mm -hmm. So remember Periscope? Yeah. And, um, you know, exactly. And Vine and all those types Mm -hmm. of things. And, you know, you could even argue now that, you know, where's Snapchat going? Is Snapchat Mm going to stick around? Is, you know, TikTok seems to be sticking around. Uh, so it's, it's also knowing not to invest too, too much, dip your toe in the water, experiment, but, but don't maybe invest too, too much until you you know that it's really going to have staying power. Yeah. That's gotta be a delicate balance. So the Ravens media group, I was going through the, the media kit the other day. I was looking at the, the media guide. Cause I'm a media guide guy. I love that stuff. And looking through the front office and I, I was Really amazed at how large and wide ranging your team is. Social media, digital, you have photographers, photogs under you, you have writers, business intelligence, game day production. We could keep going, but I mean, it's only, it's only so long of a show. All of those groups, I was trying to, again, think about it. Like all of those groups are fan focused. They're really audience facing. So they bring that value to the fans. How important is that to work at continually developing that relationship with the fans? You know, it is, it's imperative, especially after a year like we've just had where, you know, fans had to sort of learn to live without the game day experience. We had, I believe, one game where we opened it up to a very limited number of fans. And so, you know, they went and replaced that, you know, sure, they watched it on TV, I'm sure, but, but it's... uh, it's imperative constantly to keep saying, okay, where are our fans now? Where are they moving to? And and we need to have a presence there. So for example, podcast is something we talk a lot about is, is if our fans are, are like the rest of the world adopting podcasts, where, where's our place going to be in that space? Mm-hmm. If our fans are consuming content on social media, we got to be on social media, et cetera. And, and so the, the pie just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, And we play along with our marketing department, a huge role in keeping our fans engaged with the team. And it's always the number, the number one thing we have to do now. It isn't always the number one thing that our head coach wants to focus on (laughs) as much as he loves our fans. Yeah. Us, us constantly saying, hey, can we mic a coach? Can we be out there shooting practice? He's like, just let us play football. Um, but mm-hmm. We have to, right? We need, it's our job to bring that to, uh, that to our fans. It's funny. I was the news director at Fox Sports Northwest a couple years back. 
And that was the same thing. We'd come with ideas because we had partnerships with the Mariners and the Seahawks and all the different yeah. teams in town. And we'd come to them with ideas. And we're like, oh, can we try this? We could, it was always like, no, just just don't even know. <laughs> and so that, yeah. that, there's that there's that balance between being super creative and wanting to come up with new ways to engage the fans, but also respecting the coaching and operations team that Absolutely. has a job to do, too. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah, quite a balance. Yes. So I remember in college discussing how, you know, the media sets the agenda for the audience. We tell them what's most important by what we cover. And, you know, by what we choose to cover, we tell them that's the most important thing. But I wonder, in today's world, has that kind of flipped and changed? Like, does the audience have more power in determining what's most important? Do they help you guys set, to, like, what's most important for you to talk about and where to talk about it? Has that changed? Absolutely. A thousand percent. It, it's funny Long time ago, I remember our head of PR, not the same person that we have now, um, saying, you know, we tell the fans what to think kind of a thing. And yeah. so if you had some breaking piece of news, you could say, you know, we signed a player or something. You could say, no, let's, you know, let's wait till Monday to put this out there. Those days are gone. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily because the fans are demanding it, but because the agents are putting it out there. The players are putting it out there themselves with, with social media. Yeah. And, and, and further, yes, the fans, we, we get instantaneous feedback from fans about the kind of content that they're interested in knowing and doing this now for the last, you know, going on 16 years with the Ravens, we know what our fans are crazy about and what we need to be covering. And, um, and so absolutely that's, that's completely flipped now. Uh, now, you know, our PR team, is, is totally, you know, at the mercy of a, an agent or a player putting something out there. There's no holding anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's got to be so difficult. I mean, in today's media environment, players are owning their brand more than ever. You know, they are having their own social channels. They are building their own content. They're becoming content machines. How do, how do you manage that challenge? Like, how do you manage that challenge of keeping some things exclusive for your fans and your behind the scenes and your all access kind of reporting versus what the, what the, what the athletes are able to do for themselves. Does that present a a bigger challenge or, or is there some opportunity there as well? There's, there's definitely opportunity there. Sure. There is some challenge as well, but largely the kinds of things we're covering and we're writing about and creating content on aren't really necessarily the same things that the players are covering, you know, because again, they are developing their own personal brand. We Mm -hmm. are covering a team. Um, and, and, but that said, we help them, we help them with their personal brand because there's, there's a symbiotic relationship there, of course. So if a player wants to put out some photos of himself, some action photos of himself, we're going to give him some action photos. Or if he wants a highlight package, we're going to give him a highlight package to help him do that with the hope that in, in return, he's going to come on our podcast. He's going to come sit down for an interview, that sort of thing. The reality is what sets us apart, what sets us as the team apart is our access. That is it. And, and access is, is actually pretty hard to come by. You'd think being the team that we're allowed behind all the doors. And that's simply not the case, as I sort of alluded to a minute ago with our yeah. with our coach and stuff. Um, we do a pretty good job, um, but there's there's always more. And, and that's the thing that's going to set us apart from uh, you know, the ESPNs of the world and, and all of that. Um, but yes, players more than ever have their own brand. Like we just drafted um, a kid by the name of Rashad Bateman mm-hmm. um, in, in last weekend's draft. And 
he already has like he put out a video, like a, a highlight video of the draft weekend and everything. And it's amazing to see. It's amazing yeah. how that's changed. I love that stuff as a content creator too. I mean, as a content consumer, like as a fan, like if right. I take myself out of the media role and I just think about it from what do I like to see? I love the personality. I love the humanization. I love to see the the guys cutting it up on the sidelines, like all that access points sure. that you, you can explore. That's where yes. the most interesting content is, I think. Absolutely. I, I would say one of the best things we're able to get is bench sound during yeah. the game bench sound. And when we got not this past year, but the year before, before COVID and all, we got some just great conversations between our head coach and Lamar Jackson, our quarterback, about how, you know, kids are going to be wearing his jersey and, and, and you know, remembering when they watched him as a kid. And it, it blew up. It was totally a viral moment for us. But yeah, yeah it's, it is. That kind of stuff is great. I love that stuff. Uh, and so, okay. Pivoting here for a quick second, what's game day like for you? I mean, when you have your eyes on so many different things happening with the organization, all kind of bubbling up to content, of course, but I mean, there's a lot going on. Are you able to, like, like just you take me through it. What's game day like for you or what's game weekend like for you? Is that kind of a crazy time? You know, I mean, it can be. I have, as you say, a large staff of people who are really good at their jobs. And yeah. so- um, I don't really have to worry about them getting done what they need to get done. Um, I'm sometimes air traffic control, you know, I'm sometimes put the, this fire out, uh, solve this problem, that sort of thing, or quality control. You know, this isn't, this isn't working the way I want it to. I don't like the way this looks, that sort of thing. But by and large, we're a very well-oiled machine. Yeah. Uh, and everybody sort of knows their role and knows their place. Now, I will tell you that last year, all bets were off. It was such a, uh, we normally probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of a dozen people on the field at any given time doing different things. Last year, we were allowed two people. Yeah. And and that made for a very, very challenging year where so many of our, our camera crew and our photographers could not do what they normally do. And it'll be very interesting to see what this season is like. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's busy, but, and I, I will also be honest and say that I barely get to watch the game. I'm sitting yeah, in the oh, press yeah. box, but there's just so much going on so much that I'm looking at stories that are getting written, editing those stories, social posts that are going out, photos that are coming in video, the actual game presentation itself, watching so much information that I barely get a chance to look at the mm -hmm. game. So, oh, we just got a touchdown. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, we're winning. That's awesome. Exactly. Uh, I always find it fascinating when I talk to CEOs that they'll say, you know, they go from being in a role where when they become a CEO, like, so they went from being a, a role where they're maybe more of an individual contributor, they're, they're getting certain things done, they're a doer. They're a and then doer. they become the CEO and they have to be just the future looking person. Yeah. All strategic. Where are yeah. we headed? What's happening in the future? Yeah. Is that kind of the same migration you've gone through in your career uh, too? Was, uh, yes, absolutely. And it's something that I've really had to teach my leadership group as well, because it's a really difficult transition. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult transition from being a doer and sort of knowing your purpose and, and knowing what you have to do every day to going being leader and kind of going, what is my job? All these other people are doing the doing stuff. And now mm -hmm. you're not. And it's it's a huge transition. Um, but let me just, I'm here to say it is a very, very taxing and busy job. So fear not. You will <laughs> still be doing in, in some respect. 
you know, I, I see myself as sort of uh, the umbrella over three separate business units, the digital social team, the BI team, and the productions team. And, you know, I have a leadership person at the, at the head of each of those. But what I've learned is that every single employee is motivated differently. And, and in order to keep people motivated, keep them happy, keep them feel like they're growing and learning um, and, and, and being, you know, promoted and that sort of stuff, that takes a ton of work. You know, so as you say, I've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 27 people and every single one of those individuals needs different, a different approach. Yeah. And, and so that in and of itself takes an immense amount of time in, in trying to say, okay, how can I help you, you grow? Is it, do you want money? Do you want title? Do you want more responsibilities? Do you just want to be told, thank you for the great work that you're doing? You know, and everybody's different. And it's my job as the leader to sort of figure that out for each person. And uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. It is. And a team functions better when you understand all the personalities and where they fit best. That's one of the first things that I really learned when I got into deeper management was, yes, it's on me to figure that out where everybody fits and where their motivation lies. And there's a huge benefit when everybody feels valued and important and you're hitting those marks with them of what they need. It's just Absol it's, absolutely productivity goes up everything. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge game changer. And that was one of the hardest things that I had to learn becoming a manager too. Like you said, like yeah. I went from being a TV producer where I had a very exacting thing I had to do. I, yep. I created a, a 30 minute or an hour long show and then my job was done. And it was very easy to see what that job was. Yes. When I first jumped you into management. Yes. That, that transition can be difficult and everybody listening has to understand you will go through that transition from That's individual right. contributor to manager. So think yes. about it even now. Yes. And the other thing I would say about that is when you're making that transition, inevitably, the, your, your fallback is, oh, I'll just do it. It's just yes. faster if I do it. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that anymore. You've got to delegate and you've got to have patience and let that new person do it, even though they might not do it as well or as fast as you once did it. It's part of the process. Delegate it away. I still make that mistake and I'm an old dog. So I mean, <laughs> it's not an easy thing to get used to. Okay. Yeah. Pivoting for a second. Innovation, I think in the last year has been super important. Everything got blown up. Everything changed. Like we have to innovate. You can't just sit there and be like, oh, well, we guess we take a break. No, we, there, was, there was work no. to be done, right? right. Like, so that, that creative, creativity and that innovation was really important. In Baltimore, you're competing with a lot of different teams in the region. You've got Washington, D.C. nearby. You've got Philly nearby. There's a lot of com competition out there. How much pressure do you feel to constantly be innovating and ahead or do you tend to take that dip your toe in the water type attitude like you were discussing a little bit earlier? You know, honestly, other teams are only our competition on the field in reality. Now, do we are we driven by wanting to be the best and wanting to be the most innovative? Sure. And do all teams look at each other and get ideas um, about what we could or should be doing? Sure. But Innovation just for innovation, I think, is important. And I have a strategy and an innovation crew who deals with those types of things. So, um, you know, we're dealing with mixed reality, um, augmented reality, where we have a, a bot, you know, a, a, what we call the flock bot, um, which is artificial intelligence. Um, and now, of course, we've got the whole esports and we've got mm -hmm. NFTs, the, the buzzword now, not even. <laughs> 
non-fungible tokens is now the big, so crazy. So, (laughs) you know, we're constantly, again, as you and I talked about a few minutes ago about how things change so quickly. I mean, where was NFTs? Like literally two months ago, it was nowhere. And now it's blowing up. And so once again, this, this challenge with the league trying to be, you know, kind of careful about, about dipping their toe in the water, making sure they are, are, um, have done all their research and that sort of thing. And, you know, the teams like us are like chomping at the bit to sort of start to explore this and and how can we make it part of our, our strategy and our plans and all of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a constant thing. I would also say about innovation is that sometimes it's, harder to convince the powers that be whoever they might be mm-hmm. of some of that stuff because it's just so not native to them. Yeah. Um, you know, and that sort of thing, but it's imperative. It's a huge part of, of what we have to stay on top of. Out of all those things we're talking about, you, you talked earlier about, you know, vetting TikTok and Snapchat and some of these other channels that you didn't know whether they have staying power or not. As mm-hmm. you talk through some of these things that are NFTs, sports betting, a lot of those new trends that are happening. Is there anything that really has piqued your interest that you're really looking at with augmented reality and all of that? Is there certain things that you kind of gravitate towards that are, that are piquing your interest? So, I mean, there's a lot of things, honestly, like we are in the process of building out this and the, the um, Dallas Cowboys have already done it, but it's a, it's a standing unit that will allow fans on game day to take a a virtual photo with players. So the players aren't actually there, but they can choose the players they want. And then they, they stand in front of cameras. They, it it snaps the picture. It emails them the picture and there, there they are in a picture with Lamar Jackson or whatever. That's pretty Um, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. So we've got that. The, the other thing we did, and I don't know if you, you saw this is we did a mixed reality Raven um, where it was more of a social execution even though it was taking place in stadium. So if you looked at our stadium boards, you could see there was this massive, huge Raven flying around the stadium. Now, of course, you're sitting in the stadium. You don't really see it. He's he's not there. But on the boards, he was there. And on social, he was there. And it was super cool. And we're sort of toying with the idea that that type of technology might be the next iteration of the game day experience. You know, that when you, instead of selling a sponsor, um, you know, a field goal thing. Mm-hmm. Somehow it's going to have some rea- mixed reality execution in the stadium um, instead of it just being a flat Ravens vision board type thing. That unlocks so much creativity too. Like there's so many things you can, directions you you can go with something like that. And it's also- right Oh now, yeah, sponsorship really money, big time. Expensive. It's really expensive. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. To execute, execute those things. So yeah, sponsorship will be- key in all key, of that. Yeah. Offset <laughs> yeah. some of those costs. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so often people think when I talk to them, a lot, a lot of people think that content creation, social media, digital, all the website stuff is reactive. It's in the moment. It's this thing happened and we're going to react to it now. Let the people listening behind the curtain a little bit. How much time do you spend planning and preparing versus just reacting to that in the moment stuff? Yeah, I would say the things that we react to are breaking, breaking mm-hmm. news. Things like, I don't know, uh, if we uh, cut a player or sign a player and the player puts out his farewell before we've even been told in the building, which happens a lot, mm-hmm. that's when we're reactive. 
the rest of it is a ton of planning. So we have what we call content meetings currently in the off season, three days a week in the regular season, every day of the week. First thing, first part of the morning is planning. But we also have major plans around what we call tentpole events. So the draft is a great example of something that just passed. Oh my gosh, we have so many executions around the draft. We can't not prepare. It, it yeah. is such, um, whether it's, you know, photographers taking photos, cinematographers getting video behind the scenes, exclusive video, the stories that we're writing, the social posts that are going out as we, as a draft pick comes and mm-hmm. just boom, putting it out there everywhere. I mean, it's literally like 25 people go, 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 go. So that has to be planned for. We have to know what one hand is doing and, and, and what the other's doing. You know, there's a ton of planning that goes on. With so many avenues and so many people that are dependent on your leadership, and I know you have a f- highly functioning team, and I know that clearly they're they're qualified and they're they're extremely capable. But how do you even know where to prioritize your time throughout the week? How do you know where you should be focused and where you should be intentional at any at any given time when you've got so many different variables happening in your week? Yeah, again, I, I am lucky that I do have this team, um, and so for me it's sort of keeping up with my leadership group and making sure they're getting everything they need from me. It's, it's my working with my leadership team. So my boss, the president and my peers, my senior vice president peers, making sure I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with the league a lot. I'm having conversations with the league. I'm having conversations with my peers at other teams about issues we're having, um, you know, that collectively we want to address with the league. I'm dealing with budgets and I'm dealing with strategy. In fact, my staff, my leadership group just had a, a retreat yesterday. Um, there was, there's five, nine directors and, and we all met to sort of talk about where do we go for 2021? Yeah. What is our strategy as it relates to video production, technology, business intelligence, social media, con- written content. And we had an all day session on that. So there's plenty that keeps <laughs> keeps me busy and, and things that I'm focused on that aren't the day to day. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's really important. We talked a lot about that earlier. And I think that's an important distinction. Okay, so you mentioned business intelligence a couple of times, and I want to I want to dig into this a little bit. Yep. When I talk to sports companies now in the last year, especially, I'd say when I say, okay, where are your growth sectors? Where are you hiring? Where is the action happening with the organization? Nine times out of ten, business intelligence. Yeah. So you were the first time I've heard it under your department, though. And that's interesting to me. So could tell us a little bit about the BI team under you why and why it's so important in today's sports industry. Yeah, well, it's under me. But again, remember, as I said, I just sort of see myself as this umbrella. And under my umbrella is three business units, of which BI is one. And it, it could have landed in a million places, but all NFL teams are structured a little differently. When I came from the Magic to the Ravens, I was responsible at the at the Magic for market research and database marketing, the, okay. the, the early versions mm-hmm. of business intelligence. And so when I came here, I was sort of still responsible for that sort of stuff, even though we didn't really do a whole lot. In the last, I'd say, I'd say this is probably the fourth season where we've really ramped up. Because again, we're living in a different world. We're, we're living in a, a, you know, a place where we can no longer depend on season ticket holders who've 
been PSL owners for 20 years who want to come to a stadium, sit in a chair, in a seat, the same seat that they've sat in for 20 years next to the same people to keep coming. Yeah. And, you know, there some of them are aging out. You know, they, they can't, they don't want to come anymore. They don't want to drive downtown. They don't want to s- climb the stairs to their seat. So it's, they're being replaced by, the, by their children, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, this younger generation, this digital native generation. And it's so critical that we know who these people are. Who, who's going to buy our tickets yeah. as these people age out? And so business intelligence is critical uh, to us. Mo- I would say most importantly in the, the ticket realm, the selling of PSLs and single game tickets, um, it's also super important in sponsorship sales. It's mm-hmm. super important to my digital team to know how our content is performing and where we need to make tweaks, what's doing well, what's not doing well. Um, my team is also a revenue generating team. So it's it's tracking all of that. It's it's looking at where is our international audience? Do we have one? And if so, what countries? So it's just so interesting to see, you know, we started out with, you know, one guy and he finally got to hire two analysts and an intern. And now we're getting to hire one more person. So it's it's definitely like growing and growing and growing yeah. because people are realizing because we're serving other departments, people in other departments are realizing, oh, this is a resource for me. I'm in the marketing department. I can go to the BI team and ask them for this report mm-hmm. um, sales. We can go to them and say, can you tell us, you know, if, if we're pitching this sponsor, what kind of data do we have that would support us pitching them? Yeah. It's, it's imperative. It's become so critically important. It's so interesting how, you know, five years ago, it wasn't something that teams were really focused on. And now everybody is focused on it. And by the way, they're also focused on it on the football side as well. Yes. You know, there's, there's a whole different group of people and analysts on the football side too. So it's big. I think that area is so fascinating. And one of the things we've always talked about on this show is that, you know, sales jobs are always going to be available because they're revenue generating and they're easy for business owners to make arguments for. It's easy to say, if I hire this position, they're going to raise revenue. And business intelligence fits into the same mold. It's like they may raise revenue or they may decrease spending. And either way, you're making more intelligent decisions. So that argument for hiring in those positions gets a little bit easier. Like if you can do those skills... You'll have a job. You'll have an opportunity. Yes. And what was so interesting is, you know, three or so years ago when we were first developing the department, we couldn't find anybody with the skill set. There was no skill set because colleges didn't really even have the curriculum. Now, you know, just this hiring cycle, we just hired a new intern and we're hiring another position. There are tons of people who actually have the experience we're looking for, which is so, so great. So for the people who are are listening to this, it's a great field. It is a growing field and it is a field that's going to have a lot of jobs going forward. Yeah, it's a difference maker in the organization, I believe. And I think that data that you can use to make smarter choices, smarter decisions, revenue focused or expense focused decisions just just can make such a big difference. So we talk a little bit about entry level positions. And if we have somebody listening right now, thinking to themselves, they're a young person, they're getting started and they're thinking Ravens Media, man, that's a dream gig. What, what, what skill sets do you look for? Like, what are those entry level jobs? Where does somebody get started in this realm? I mean, obviously it's a high pressure role working for an NFL team and not everybody's going to start out their career 
at that level. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, where would somebody kind of break in with an organization like yours? A couple of things. One, as an intern, no question. I would say probably 20 out of 25 of my staff members were in my interns first. I love that. So it's it's internships. But the key with an internship, and we only take graduates, because um, they're year-long, full-time, paid positions. Mm-hmm. They are a member of our team that we desperately need the help of. But I will tell you, after having been in sports for so many years, I get too many cover letters that say, I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge Ravens fan. I'll work anywhere. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to hire that. I want your skill. It's great that you're a football fan, but you got to bring a skill and you got to tell me what's your focus. Are you in communications? Are you in social? Are you a camera person? I'm not just going to hire you randomly and say, oh, I'll put you here. You've got to bring the skill set. And, and so don't send me a cover letter that says, I'm a huge Ravens fan and I'll work in any department. No, I was like, no, tell me what you can bring and how you're going to help me. You know, Thank how you, can you help me? for saying this. That is the best advice. Everybody in our audience needs to be listening to that so clearly. I've said it before. I'm so glad to hear you echo it. I think that <laughs> is the most valuable advice. We're not hiring fans. Fans are distracted. Fans don't have a distinct purpose. Fans are looking around at everything going on. No way. You've got to have a skill set you bring to the table. That's what's going to make you stand out. And like I said, you don't necessarily have to be a sports management person. Right. You know, again, I didn't have a sports management degree. I never thought I'd work in sports. That didn't stop me from being hired. Now, I will tell you, don't get me wrong. There's lots of people that work for us that that their their plan was always to be in sports and they're in sports. But yeah. you've got to bring that skill set. Absolutely. So somebody breaking in, the best way is interning. But what are those kind of skills that you are looking for? What when 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 we talk about getting specific, what might those specifics kind of look like? Are there certain areas that are that are custom or, or really well made for somebody getting started in the industry? I mean, there's so many. I mean, there, yeah. there's a million. I mean, again, as we just spoke about, it, you know, somebody who has a background in analytics is going to be important. Somebody who um, is an editor, a video editor yeah. would be. That's how important. I started. Yeah, exactly. Um, somebody, and this is probably more niche, but somebody who understands social media, and I don't mean just has social media accounts, who really understands how TikTok is different from Twitter yeah. and how those audiences are different. How to track data. Yeah. And, yeah. Writers, people who can really write. I need, I need writers. Um, and the list goes on. I mean, you know, again, you, you said it yourself. I have so many different skill sets, cinematographers, photographers, photographers, not so much. My photographers, just to be fair, are not full-timers. They, they have their own businesses outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, and then outside of my department, there's a marketing department, there's ticket sales, there's corporate sales, there's Mm -hmm. HR, there's finance. I mean, there's, there's a whole slew of opportunities if you're bringing that skill set to the table. And by the way, you know, all of these positions are always posted on our website. And I will also say that right now, it's kind of crazy. People, I think, are coming out of COVID. Teams are coming out of COVID. And there are a ton of jobs posted right now. So it's a good time to be looking. We've seen that. So our job board last year in February, we had about 25,000 jobs for the sports industry. And um, it went down to about 7,000 by summer last year. Just everything plump. People are calling us left and right, like, pull our jobs. We don't want to promote them at all. We're not hiring. And now we're back up to 24,500. So we've almost topped over where we were 
pre-COVID. Yep. So that that yep. that growth cycle is going right now, and it's a thank really goodness. great time. It is. Yes. It's thank yes. goodness. So speaking of the last year, as you look back over this last year of tumult, what are you most proud of when you look at your team? You've got a broad team. You guys had to innovate. You did a lot of things you had to do in order to have that season be the success that it was. As you look back and how your team adjusted, what are you most proud of? I am proud of the fact that we were able to completely deliver the content that we probably would have delivered had it not been COVID in addition to everything else we had to take on last year. In many ways, we became the marketing department because they could no longer do in-person events. So they were wanting to do them virtually. Well, who was executing that for them? We were. Our PR department could no longer do press conferences in person. We had to do it virtually. We kind of became the PR department putting on, you know, the networks who used to send in camera crews to do an interview with a player before that Sunday's game were calling us up and saying, we need you to do the interview for us and just send it to us. So we were doing all this stuff. Meanwhile, we're making videos saying thank you to the nurses. Thank you, frontline workers. It was in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement. We were Mm -hmm. our owner was coming out and saying things. Our players were creating videos. And and despite all of that, we still delivered great content to our fans with two people on the field instead of 12. And, And we figured out how to do it. And it was a rough year. Don't get me wrong. It was a really rough year. But, but I don't think our content really suffered as a result. We, we tried so hard to prevent it from suffering. That's amazing and something to be very proud of for sure. Because you could see a lot of people, not within your organization, but you could see a lot of people making excuses and thinking to themselves, sure. well, I can't, I can't, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this or feeling right. unmotivated. The fact you're able to push through that is really indicative of, of leadership, I'd say. I'll give you credit. <laughs> okay, we'll finish, we'll finish up with this. And I cannot thank you enough for your time. And I want to be respectful of that. But amazing conversation. We'll finish up with this. As a female executive in the sports industry, you're a role model to a lot of people out there. Has the industry improved in your time in the industry? Has the industry improved in the way it empowers, the way it develops, the way it treats women? And where do we still need to focus on growing? I think this is a really important topic. And I mean, it's meaty. I know it's a lot to throw at you, but I'd love your perspective on what you've seen take place over your years in the industry. Yeah, I would say it has improved more on the football side. You know, so people don't really necessarily from the outside see an organization like ours as having two sides, but it really does, right? There's mm-hmm. the football side and there's the business side. There's the basketball side and there's the business side and so on. Yeah. I would say most of the strides have been made and most of the focus has been on the football side. So whether it's our female nutritionist, uh, whether it's one of our, our, our analysts, uh, our data analysts is a, is a female now. She's the first one that we've ever had. Um, to me, you're seeing coaches, you know, you're seeing female coaches, female scouts, that sort of thing. You're some female owners, not a couple. That's to me where you're seeing most of the strides. I am usually in, in, at the leadership level, I am one of maybe two females in the room at any given time to, you know, I don't know, eight or nine men. So it's still a small portion. Um, 
and I don't say any of that to say that, you know, women aren't getting jobs in, in, in sports and all that. They are. They definitely are. Um, I'd like to see more women in leadership roles. You know, we're, we're as an organization, like many organizations are going through a really big diversity, equity and inclusion initiative yeah. where we're talking about this. We're not just talking about minority hiring and that sort of thing. We're talking about the things that women face in what has or had traditionally been a very male dominated field. And, and I think that is a total step in the right direction as well. So, so progress has been made and I look forward to there being more. Is there any specific advice you've give to the young women listening in the audience who may be looking to break in anything that you'd tell them that could help set them up for success as they move forward in their career? Anything you look well, back on that you'd want to tell your younger self? Yeah. Uh, two things. One be good at your skill, you know, and, and second, how do I, how do I word it? Advocate for yourself, I guess is what I would say, because no one else is really going to advocate for you. You know, there was a period where I sort of felt invisible in the organization. And I finally was like, you know, wake up, Michelle, you have to do this for you. You have to say, I'm not going to be invisible anymore. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this, this, and this in order to raise my profile, whether it was internally, externally in the community, whatever it was. So be your own advocate. And that's, you know, it's hard for a lot of people. It's hard for a lot of women, I think, to do that. But learn from me, do it sooner rather than later, Um, you know, because it, it, it only benefits you ultimately. Amazing, amazing advice. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. I was hanging on your every word. It was so much interesting stuff that we were talking about. I just, I'm so, I'm so happy to have this time to talk with you. So thank you for coming on. I'm happy to have done it. It was a lot of fun and um, I hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you everybody for listening, putting back together these episodes and rehashing 2021 and really thinking about those monumental moments where we all learned and grew is really a lot of fun for me. I've done 41 interviews this past year and going back and listening to some of these has been enlightening because sometimes you get so stuck in the moment, you don't get a chance to really think about what's being said and being able to go back and digest these, I hope is having the same effect on you as it has on me. Thank you all for listening. Please continue to. The next coming weeks will be Jack Settleman and Zach Moritas, two more of my favorite guests. And then we'll kick off 2022 with a really big bang. Thanks for listening, everybody. 